At the age of 17, I was uh, nearly killed when shot in the throat with a 38 caliber bullet. Uh, and so that second chance really inspired me to go into medicine, uh, inspired me to become a trauma surgeon. And then I think it's really pushed me to really try uh, to tackle this problem with a public health lens. Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle, and today we speak with two trauma surgeons who are also advocates for gun violence prevention and firearm safety. Dr. Joseph Sacrin entered the public spotlight in 2018 when he declared, this is our lane, following criticism from the NRA. The statement launched a movement within healthcare that continues to push forward to this day. Dr. Chathan Sathia is director of Northwell Center for Gun Violence Prevention and will be hosting a panel at the third annual Gun Violence Prevention Forum on December 15th. This groundbreaking summit is focused on mobilizing the healthcare industry around the public health crisis of gun violence. Dr. Sakharin, it's great to speak with you today. Thanks so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Health Talk. Can you, um, and, and share your story, which has inspired so many. You are a survivor of gun violence. Tell us how you became an advocate and champion for this cause. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, thanks so much uh, for having me today. It's it's a real um, pleasure to be here, uh, both with my, my friend, Chafin, but also uh, with the Northwell team. And I think all of us um, have different reasons as to why, you know, we're here uh, doing this work. And for me, um, you know, uh, it's personal. I was, you know, uh, born just outside our nation's capital. Uh, I'm the son of immigrant parents that uh, came to this country in search of those hopes and dreams that I think so many of us uh, strive for. And at the age of 17, my life uh, really changed, uh, where uh, I went from being a healthy high school student, someone that was uh, collateral damage after uh, I was uh, nearly killed when shot in the throat with a 38 caliber bullet. And I think, you know, as I've told Chetan before, you know, at that age, when you have something like that happen to you, um, uh, it just changes your entire perspective. I mean, I was 17, so I had no idea at that age, I think like most 17 year olds, what I wanted to do in my life. Um, I would say I didn't even realize the fact that I was mortal. Uh, and so that second chance really inspired me to go into medicine, uh, inspired me to become a trauma surgeon. And then I think it's really pushed me um, to work uh, with other folks um, uh, across the spectrum to really try uh, to tackle this problem with a public health lens. And that's why, you know, I do the work that I do today. Yeah, that's awesome. Dr. Sathya, how did you come to know uh, Dr. Sakharin's story and then come to collaborate with him? Well, I think it goes without saying that really Dr. Sakharin um, <clears throat> has really been a, um, you know, an inspirational factor for many of us uh, in the healthcare field. You know, not only did he start the This Is Our Lane movement that really empowered all of us to want to take a stance on this, but he's also been an exceptional mentor to me. Um, so I would say that, you know, Dr. Sakharin's experiences and the things that he have done um, has inspired me in a big part. And then personally, um, you know, I, I did my training in Chicago and I often speak about my first weeks on the job as a fellow there. Uh, 
at the children's hospital. And I was just horrified seeing kid after kid with bullet wound. Uh, this is something that, you know, I never expected when moving to America. I am initially, you know, I'm originally Canadian. And uh, it really opened my eyes to the crisis that this country is going through. And uh, that was a big factor in me wanting to make this a, a bulk of my focus in my career. Yeah. And I think as surgeons, it's got to be one of the most difficult things in the world to be, you know, uh, operating on a child that was hit with a stray bullet or picked up a, a gun in their house and accidentally shot themselves. I mean, it's got to be one of the toughest things that, that you do. And that is your lane. Well, and, and I want to, and it is a hundred percent tough and I, and we can talk about those, I think, you know, emotionally raw conversations. I do want to, if, if I can have the privilege of just underscoring one thing that you just said, because it's so important. I almost will like never use the word accident. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry to kind of like made a, make a point out of, about this, but it's so critical because um, these are all 100% preventable. And I think from a public health perspective, when we say accident, we imply, right, that it's not preventable. So what we like to really call these are unintentional injuries. And so I just, for people that are listening, you know, the words that we use matter. And I think it's just important that we kind of all kind of embrace how we approach this issue and how we talk about this issue. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think too, when, when you talk about a, a school shooting, as we just, you know, heard about one and unfortunately again in the news is it's not just the people that, that are injured or killed. It's all these students. It's the whole entire student body that is, is traumatized by this. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, you know what? I'll actually take that a step further. It's the entire country that is traumatized. I mean, just think about this. Like time and time again, we keep seeing these, you know, school shootings that are highlighted in the media and these kids that are killed and injured. And for every one of those kids, you know, you have loved ones that are impacted and you have communities that are impacted. You have states that are impacted and you have a nation that is impacted time and time again. Uh, it's traumatizing. Mm -hmm. And and here's what I'll say is that, you know, this comprises less than two percent of the public health problem that we're facing. You know, Chathan and I talk about this all the time. You know, there are young black men that are being slaughtered on our streets in cities like Baltimore and Chicago and Philadelphia. Right. Those stories have to be told. And I think recently the media has done a better job of, of telling those stories. But, you know, what we often see is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I mean, that that's the thing, right? We, we, we really have to change the narrative. We have to keep telling the stories of these, you know, non-fatal firearm injuries or these fatal firearm injuries in the communities that we don't focus on, like Dr. Sacrin's referring to. And the other thing is just to take that a step further, the trauma that these mass shootings have is longstanding and goes far beyond the shooting itself, right? I mean... We had students from Baldwin High School here in New York recently visit us. And, you know, just hearing these students talk about the trauma that they go through from active shooter drills, right? That was really eye-opening. Uh, you know, they, they were saying, I can't believe people make us do these drills. You know, I can't believe they put us all in one room in one cor corner. How does that make us feel? If there is truly a shooter, you know, isn't the shooter just going to kill all of us at once? You know, the fact that these kids are having to think about this is a real impact on the way they're growing up. 
Absolutely. Not only are, are both of you advocates within your own health system, but you recently collaborated on a call to Congress to support President Joe Biden's comprehensive Build Back Better plan, which includes $5 billion for violence intervention programs. Tell us about that effort and how health systems can work with government to find solutions. We have a growing coalition of hospitals, health systems, and healthcare providers who are really interested in this topic and are now ready to add, you know, actually move to action, not just talk. And so um, many of you on the, uh, on the podcast here have heard of our Northwell Learning Collaborative, where we have uh, hundreds of hospitals who have joined who are interested in implementing strategies to reduce firearm injury. As a result, we have a multitude of different healthcare CEOs from the largest health systems in the country who are now joining our coalition uh, collectively with Dr. Sakran to be able to make actionable change. So we really felt like this was a good opportunity um, to support President Biden's plan for the $5 billion in the Build Back Better Act, um, because this would be one of the largest um, you know, funding opportunities from the government for gun violence prevention in recent history. So it, it was, suffice it to say, you know, a, a, a big effort, and Dr. Sacken will elaborate a little bit more on it, but you know, people were very enthusiastic to get behind this, and we really hope that this funding passes. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's spot on. This would frankly um, be the largest investment in gun violence prevention that has ever happened if this goes through. Of course, I think, you know, most people know that this is it's passed the House, um, but it's now in the Senate. Uh, and I think this would be absolutely historic um, because it would, you know, really, I think, be committed to approaching this problem in a multifaceted way, which is what we've always talked about. There is you know, no one solution to this issue. And I think what it also does is it underscores the investment right, in black and brown communities that have frankly called for this type of funding uh, for years. And it's so critical because you know, we know when you look at some of the different pieces that exist within community intervention programs, within hospital-based violence intervention programs, there are so many factors that we've often heard referred to as, you know, the social determinants of health and trauma-informed care that cities and healthcare systems want to be a part of. But the funding for a year has been sporadic. It's why you see some programs come and go. So this, I think, will help level set the problem that we're seeing and allow local and state communities, which is where most governing in America happens, to actually really kind of play a critical and vital role in supporting these incredible programs that save lives. And I just think it's something that, you know, as we look at this revolving, you know, door of violence, right? And as we think about addressing kind of some of the disparities and inequities, this is going to be a critical piece to that. And we're really excited that, you know, President Biden pushed it, you know, and really it's still, you know, in the current version of Build Back Better, and hopefully it passes. And the community violence intervention groups are really excited by the enthusiasm in the healthcare industry to partner on this. You know, the, the whole concept of a hospital-based violence intervention program where, 
you know, when a patient who's at risk comes into our emergency departments, then gets paired up with a social worker and a community uh, liaison to help break the violence of cycle. I mean, that whole concept has come out of collaboration between hospitals and communities. So I think that's a big, big part of this funding. Yeah. Dr. Sakharin, you, you really catapulted into the limelight after your testimony before Congress in 2018. How has that changed your life since then? I'm not necessarily sure it changed, you know, um, how I viewed myself or the work that I'm doing. I think anytime I have the opportunity to talk to policymakers and to talk to the public about the fact that this is a public health problem and we need to approach it that way, um, I try to take that because I think, again, this really allows us to take this issue that I think many uh, feel that it's so kind of emotionally charged and really just flip it on its head and say, listen, this is a disease just like so many other diseases. And, you know, we always talk about this example, but you think about what happened when we were facing motor vehicle fatalities in the 60s and the 70s, right? We didn't get rid of cars. We came up with seatbelts and airbags and we made roads safer. And that's what we're trying to do here is we're just trying to have responsible gun ownership and to prevent, you know, these, you know, kids and adults from being killed day in and day out on our streets. Yeah. Dr. Dr. Sakharin, you mentioned uh, not knowing how to talk about gun violence and how people like you and Dr. Sathya can help others learn how, how to talk about it. How, how do you get that conversation going? So I, I think, I think it's a couple things. I think the first thing that I think if you're, okay, if you start, if you're talking about this issue to people that, you know, that think like yourself um, or maybe have your opinions, well, those are, I would say, relatively easy conversations. And actually you probably won't gain much out of those conversations. My most favorite conversations are talking with people that actually don't think necessarily the way I think, or maybe weren't raised the way I was raised, or maybe have different views about the issue. And I think the way you start those conversations is by listening, because we often don't do enough listening. There's a lot of talking that's being done, but people are not often listening to each other. And I think as like, you know, Stephen Covey says in, you know, his book of like, you know, the seven like habits of highly uh, effective people, right? Listen with the intent to understand. And I think about this a lot because, you know, perception is not, not always reality. And when you think about, you know, conversations that are happening, right? And as Americans, we have a lot more in common than we have that divides us. And that doesn't always get portrayed across kind of social media and the airwaves. True. That's such, you know, and that is such an important point, right? We do have so much in common. I mean, how many people have you actually met that don't want safer communities, you know, that don't want their children and loved ones being killed by firearms, right? And gun owners included. I mean, gun owners are some of our biggest supporters. So there's a huge disconnect there. I mean, we have far more common ground than we think. And unfortunately, as you mentioned, um, you know, the polarization is what sticks in people's minds. And that's actually what makes the conversation difficult, even in the healthcare lane. You know, there's a reason that healthcare workers don't find this conversation an easy one to have or aren't taught how to have this conversation it's because it's still considered a political issue, but it's not. It's about safety. Yeah. And if I can just jump on that, um, I think 
I think some people do view it as a political issue. But I also think there's another angle to that, which is depending upon the state that you live in, like if you're in Texas versus Massachusetts, it may be very different in talking to your patients about this issue. It also may be different on how you were raised. Maybe, you know, you were raised with firearms in the home and you feel like you understand them very well and you can have those conversations. And maybe you've never even touched a firearm and you're like, well, wait, how am I supposed to talk about this? Which is why, you know, we have been doing so much work with Brady and N Family Fire, as well as other, you know, organizations to help empower clinicians with the knowledge and the skills to talk about this issue in an objective, non-judgmental way. We're not there like Dr. Seppi's mentioning, like we still have work to do, but I think we can get there just like we've talked about, you know, smoking and so many other different public health issues that our patients face. Yeah, those conversations are so important, which is a perfect segue into our next uh, segment, which is called the Lightning Round. And we're going to talk about the forum uh, on December 15th. The Gun Violence Prevention Forum will bring together an impressive list of health uh, community and government leaders. And so I wanted to know from when I say a name uh, of some of the speakers, what pops into your mind right away. And the first person up is Susan Rice. She's the former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, now the director of the U.S. Domestic uh, Policy Council. Okay, I mean, here's what I'll say is you have the director of the of the DPC coming to this conference, perhaps the most powerful, um, you know, White House committee that is driving domestic policy change uh, in America. So, I mean, I don't think anything else needs to be said. It's just critical how central of an issue this is to the administration. Um, and I think, you know, the ambassador's uh, presence there is, is greatly appreciated and I think underscores the importance that President Biden has for this for this issue. Great. Dr. Sathya, uh, James A. Mercy is a doctor and he's also going to be speaking. He's the director uh, division of Violence Prevention Centers for Disease Control. What pops into your head when you hear James A. Mercy? You know, Dr. Mercy is really at the leading edge of fighting this epidemic, right? So, I mean, having the opportunity to hear from him and, and be part of the panel along with Dr. Sackern is a huge huge opportunity for us to learn about what the vision is from the CDC's perspective on how we can combat this public health crisis. And I think, you know, if COVID-19 proved one thing, it was that the CDC and other public health agencies are really trying to increase their cooperation with health systems and hospitals. Um, You know, tremendous coordination is required for vaccine rollouts nationally for control of this pandemic. So I think it's a really exciting opportunity for us to continue to build that bridge with the CDC and other organizations. And also, you know, learn a little bit about what this funding down the road might look like and how it would be used. Because my understanding is that if this funding is passed, you know, part of this would be allocated to the CDC. So that'll be exciting to hear about. Charles H. Ramsey is also going to speak. He's a former Philadelphia police commissioner and Washington, D.C. chief of police. Dr. Sakrin. Yeah. So he's an amazing individual. I had the chance um, to be on a town hall with him uh, a couple years back before COVID, I think he's just has an incredibly unique perspective as someone from law enforcement and someone that understands, um, you know, the importance of what's happening, you know, in many of our urban cities uh, across America and the role that I think law enforcement has to help combat um, gun violence in America. I've always, always 
really respected him as an individual. And I think what he brings to the table is so valuable because again, like we've been talking about, this requires a multidisciplinary approach and law enforcement is part of that solution as well. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time here on 20 Minute Health Talk. We always like to end on a positive note. So I like, like to ask both of you and I'll start with Dr. Sacron. What gives you hope? What gives you optimism going forward? Well, I'll tell you what gives me optimism is that when you look at this issue and you look at how it's changed over the past 10 years, it's been tremendous. And some people may not necessarily realize that they may say, well, wait, Nothing has really happened at the federal level, you know, outside of, you know, some federal funding a couple of years ago. Right. But this goes back to what we were discussing earlier, which is most governing happens at the local and state level. And when you look at like in 2018, you know, over 68 pieces of common sense legislation were passed in states all across America. We had a presidential election where the candidates were having gun violence prevention as a central focus. That never used to happen before. So the country has changed. So I'm optimistic that as we, you know, start to put, you know, responsible policymakers, you know, in the halls of Congress and in, you know, kind of our communities, they're going to drive the type of change we need to see in order to save lives. And I think that's, that's really inspiring. Awesome. Dr. Sathia. Yeah, I think, you know, um, it, it's really easy when you're thinking about gun violence in this country to get discouraged, um, feel like your efforts are futile. But um, I agree with Dr. Sackard. I mean, there's been a lot of momentum. Uh, a lot of people have come together on this. And that's, again, because we all have common ground on this. Literally, whenever you talk to somebody, the next time you're out on the street and you talk, you, you know, if you meet someone new and this topic comes out, really evaluate for yourself. How does the conversation go? You know, because in the media and so on, this is so polarized, we feel discouraged. But really, that should not take away from the tremendous progress that has been made. And that's definitely what gives us the inspiration and motivation to keep going. Awesome. Well, Dr. Sakrin, Dr. Sathya, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Health Talk. And for you, the listener, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Rob Hoyle. Have a great day and stay safe. The third annual Gun Violence Prevention Forum takes place virtually on December 15th at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Register online at PreventGunViolence.com.